Welcome to Faith Sermons and Studies with Pastor Joe DeVitro. So this morning, I want to continue on the thought of next steps. And last week, we talked about having a plan. We talked about uh, starting the plan. And we talked about accountability in the plan. And we all said some, everyone's got to start somewhere, right? You got to start somewhere. If you're going to become a teacher, what's the first thing you got to do? Well, you got to learn, and once you learn, then in order to become a teacher, you actually got to, you got to move from student to teacher. You got to have a teaching opportunity. If you're going to start your devotions, then the first thing you need to do is allocate time, right? You got to do something to start the process. And last week, we talked about those starting points. This week now, I want to give you some of the equipment that you need to do that. So we're going to be in Ephesians 2 a little bit, but Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. I want you to start there. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. And um, as you're turning there, hold your place there. And um, I want to start with kind of an illustration. I'm going to share, I'm going to be a little bit transparent here because I, I suffer from this a little bit myself, uh, especially when I'm doing my own quiet time with the Lord. And uh, so if you're going to judge, fine, you can judge me. That's fine. You can be critical. I don't care. But this, this is me. Okay, I'm going to describe me. If it applies to you, then feel free to, to fellowship in the illustration with me. But um, have you ever felt like in your devotion or in your quiet time with Lord, the Lord, you're in like a boxing match? All right? Um, like... There are times where I'm praying something like this. All right, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Oh, man, that, that gets me thinking. There's a lot on my calendar today. I got a bunch of stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, I punch myself. Then I'm like, no, no, I'm praying. I'm praying. I'm not going to worry about these things. I'm going to pray. All right, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Man, I got a lot of stuff going on today. I've got to get, I got to get, oh, yeah. Um, focus, okay. All right. Um, God, sorry about that. Thank you for this day. Just thank you for the many things that you've given to me. And, oh, man, i got to go there. i got to do this. i got to do that. And it's like, push, punch myself again. And, like, I'm in this constant battle with God in my own brain, and I'm trying to focus on the things of God, but the things of the world are just bombarding me. And then, of course, you get to the next phrase, and, Lord, I need today the energy that I need to be able to get through the day, and my phone rings. And, it, and it's you calling. So it's important, right? It's important. And you've waited all morning. And, and I'm like, ah, oh, God, you, God. You ever been there? Right? All right. I got more fans now all of a sudden. I, I can see it coming. You're all kind of starting to click in here. And it's like, okay, here's another. And you're like, Lord, pray for this missionary and that. Oh, man, that reminds me. I forgot to talk about the missions conference. I forgot to, oh, I forgot to address this. I forgot. And it's like, by the time I'm done, I have no idea what I prayed. I have no idea what I prayed. Because the prayer was so interrupted with my own process, my own life, my own things that are pushing on me. And, um, and it's like, I need that constant, like, I'm constantly getting in my own way. I'm constantly hitting myself, and then I want to complain to somebody about how much the punches hurt. But who's doing it? I am. I'm allowing my brain, and I'm allowing my schedule to drive my spiritual life. 
Now, anybody see a problem with that? Right? The reality, what God wants me to do is exactly 180 degrees opposite of what I'm trying to do in that moment. And this morning, this is where I want to meet everybody. I want to meet everybody at the practical ground zero, if you will, of your life. I want to stop punching myself in the face, getting in my own way, and I want to be able to have victory. So if you're sitting out there, and this is you this morning, which by the way, 84% of Americans say that they have prayed in the last week. That's a Barnapole. Back in 2020, which I'm kind of curious how they know how many people they interview when we're all in lockdown, but maybe they did online, I don't know. But 84% of Americans today say that they have prayed in the last week. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you are, you're like, Pastor Joe, I don't do that. I have a better quiet time than you, obviously. Well, great, you can come study with me sometime, and I'll teach you how messed up my brain is, because that's how it happens. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. But wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I believe this morning is going to be extremely relevant to you. And I call this frustration or I call this illness spiritual ADD, okay? Sometimes spiritual ADD shows up in the way we serve. You know, oh, I'll, I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll run that program. I'll do that. And then about five weeks in, man, pff, they're off on another tangent. It's like, whoa, 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 we haven't finished this over here, okay? So sometimes we can get distracted by new things. Sometimes we get distracted by new trends. Sometimes we get distracted by our schedules. Sometimes we get distracted by information in our prayer. Uh, I know there's been times where I've been praying about something, and um, my phone dings, and I'm like, oh, maybe that's the answered prayer. And then next thing I know, I'm 15 minutes on Facebook, and I never finished my quiet time, right? Again, don't judge. I know, where, I know you have the same problems. So, this morning, that's where I want to meet us. How do we take care of this issue of how? How do we overcome this? How do we stay focused? Because you've probably done this before, too. You've sat down with somebody to have a conversation, and they're everywhere but in your conversation. Or they're scrolling on their phone, or they're looking, or you're talking to somebody and you're having a really serious conversation. Their phone rings, and what's the first? I don't have my phone on me. I left it over there. They pick up their phone and they're like, hello? It's like, whoa, weren't we, wasn't this just a thing? So, you know, there's these awkward moments. And have you ever had an awkward moment with God? An awkward moment where you've got pulled away from the conversation. You get distracted because of see, smell, taste, touch, you know, whatever it is. Um, so like last week, I want us to understand more of how to grow spiritually in our lives. I want to give you the practical side, not necessarily theological side, but some of the practical things. What is the next step that I can take in my personal quiet time? I mean, we all know God loves us, right? I mean, that's kind of a, a fact even unsaved people know today. God is love. God loves us. Does God want his best for you? Well, sure he does. Does God want you to have a special focused time with him every day? Yes. Does God want us to have conversation with him? Does he want to talk to us and does he want us to talk to him? Yes. We know all these things to be true, but here's a fact for you. Only 20% of Christians have a personal quiet time with God. 80% say they prayed, 84% technically, say they prayed, but only 20% of Christians today have a routine of a quiet time with God. How? Why? 
If we have the head knowledge, right? Now, if we want to be theological about this, we can be really analytical and say, he that knows good and doesn't do it, it's called... So I could just call you a bunch of sinners, and myself included, and we'd all be like, well, we already knew that, right? But how do we change from the habits we're in to what God wants us to have as habits? That's harder, isn't it? Because every time I get focused, you ever hear a message? This happens at camp all the time for kids. But have you ever been in a church service, you heard a message, and you're like, I'm going to go home, and I am going to so do that, and today's the day. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to do this for the Lord. And by Monday morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, what happens? It's gone, right? The emotions are gone. The drive is gone. The decision's gone. And, and the things of the world have taken over, and spiritual ADD has happened in your life. Because in the moment, you were all about it, and then all of a sudden, psh, we're off to something else. Let me show you in the Bible what, what it says here about growing in spiritual maturity. God wants us to grow in spiritual maturity. Let's see how some of these guys did it in the Bible. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 27. Check this verse out. And Abraham, let's read it together out loud. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. What time did he go? Early in the morning. How about Daniel 6 and verse 10? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows he threw open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day. He prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had, say it together, done previously. This is a habit, isn't it? It's a routine. How about Acts 10 and verse 9? Let's check this out. The next day, as they were on their journey and approached the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to... What did Peter have to pray for? He was one of the disciples, man. Why, why did he... Peter prayed, right? How often did he pray? This applies that he had a routine that daily he prayed. The next day, it emphasizes that he prayed. Um, let's, let's move on here a little further. How about Mark chapter one? Let's look at verse 35 and rising when, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he, who's that talking about? Jesus prayed and he did it when early in the morning, he did it intentionally. He did it. And, and what did he do? He went to a we would call that a quiet place. A place where he could be alone. A place where he wasn't interrupted. A place where his cell phone didn't ring. A place where his brain could detoxify itself of his schedule. How many people think Jesus was busy? I mean, you know, he's a pretty busy guy in his lifetime. He took time to pray. Peter, he was a very busy guy in his lifetime. He took time to pray. Daniel took time to pray. By the way, what do all these people have in common? How many of them would you call spiritual titans? Right? All of these guys are men that we would say, man, that is a leader when it comes to Christianity. And what did all these leaders have in common? Prayer. A quiet time with the Lord Jesus Christ, or in Christ's situation, a quiet time with his heavenly father, that was intentional. They had quiet times, or they had a time they devoted to God. So why do we call devotions, devotions, and quiet time, quiet time? 
This is why. We take it as a derivative off of the Bible narrative of how other Christians lived. Obviously, these guys, like so many others over the last 2,000 years, have found time spending alone with God not to be exhausting, but exhilarating. After Peter prayed, what did he do? He went and served. After Jesus prayed, what did he do? He went and served. After Daniel prayed, what did he do? He went to jail. No, he, he, went, he went about the rest of his day's business. And then one day got to go to jail for praying and doing his Bible reading. So we see that these leaders all had this in common. They had a personal time dedicated to talk with the Lord a quiet time, if you will. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard the phrase quiet time. You've heard the phrase devotions um, in, in verbiage inside the church. So I don't think for most of us these concepts are new. But I do want to go back to the fact that the poll says only 20% of Christians have a quiet time. I wonder this morning how many of us had a quiet time. You say, well, I'm at the service today. This is my quiet Number one, you're not in a desolate place, you're not alone, and you're not talking to God right now. You're listening from God, but you're not talking with God. Other people are praying. Other people. So church doesn't count as what we're talking about here. Church is the assembly of the selves together of the believers in any one place at any one time. So we can't say church is fulfilling this. But these times in these men's lives definitely played an impact on their leadership. So when I talk about a quiet time this morning, I want to give you a definition. A quiet time is a daily time set aside to be alone with God. It's a daily time set aside to be alone with God in order to get to know him through the Bible and to know him through prayer, in order to communicate with him, in order to talk to him, in order to commune together. Remember a couple weeks ago we took what? Co-union. We are co-missioned. We talked about that last week. We're co-missioned with the Father. Everything we do in Christianity is co in some way. We are co-laborers in Christ. We've been given a co-worker for us as well, who is the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So ministry is not the lone ranger. Ministry is not doing things alone, going it alone. But God says there needs to be time in which we have a team meeting. Right? Who's the other half of his team? We are. And if the Lord wants to have a team meeting and we don't show up at the team meeting consistently, what are the odds he's not going to do something special with us? You know, imagine, imagine an NFL team. I think Buffalo Bills are going to try this this week. Um, they, they haven't been able to practice because their facility's been socked in. They, had, they weren't able to get out of Buffalo. But imagine a football team not practicing all week, showing up the next week to play against a team that has prepared for them. They've had meetings. They watch film. They watch video. They've done the work. They've ran the plays. They, they've did the cadence, they did all the work that is involved in being great, right? They've done all the work in it, and then over here you have a team that did absolutely nothing all week since the last football game. And they're going to go head-to-head -head this week. Now, I know we're Baptists, we don't bet, okay? But let's say you were not Baptist, and you are a betting person. Where would you put all your weight? What team would you pick to win? 
Now, there's always the one person that wants the underdog, right? Okay? So excluding the one person that's just absolutely out of touch with reality, all of us are going to take the team that's prepared. Why? Because the odds of success are far greater than the odds of failure. Let me ask you a question. If you in your spiritual life could be almost given guarantee of success, if you were to implement one behavior into your life, would you be interested? Would you want to take that next step and find out what that one thing is? It's a quiet time with the Lord. It's a time of prayer and Bible reading in your life every single day. You know, we take this for granted today, but the Lord Jesus did it himself. Nobody molded this better than Jesus. Think about this. Luke 22, verses 42 to 44. Check these verses out. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but... Who's saying this? This is Jesus. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. He was strengthened when? After he did what? He's praying. He's being strengthened. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and sweat became like droplets of blood falling down to the ground. Now, I'm not going to try to tell you that if you pray in this way, an angel's going to appear in your life, and then you're going to have to pray even more earnestly until you sweat blood. Okay? That's not the application here. That, that is what happened in the, in the realm of Christ, being under the stress he was in, going where he knew he was going, and what was about to occur. But what I'm telling you is this. Jesus Christ, when he was being pressed spiritually, what was his behavior? He prayed. He got alone with the Father. Remember, who was with him in the Garden of Gethsemane that night? All the disciples but one. Judas. Judas would eventually meet him. So all the disciples are there, and he told the disciples to do what? Two things. Watch. And how good did they do at either one? They really didn't. Matter of fact, he goes back and rebukes them the one time to reset and tries it again and they get the same result the second time. But in the meantime, Jesus Christ himself is alone with who? The Father. If Jesus needed a quiet time with the Father, how much more do you and I? By the way, what did Jesus pray about? Well, he's like us, right? He spent most of his time confessing his sin. Well, I can't be right, because Jesus never what? So what did Jesus pray for? 90% of our prayers are sin provisions. Father, forgive us for this, forgive me of that, forgive me of this, provide for this, because I didn't do this, blah, 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 right? It's the old student getting ready to take the exam. Lord, please bless this exam and my study I didn't do. And help me to remember you and all that I do. Amen? And then we flag it with a 20% and we're like, oh, God let me down. Well, I don't think God failed the test. He knows who he is. I think the person taking the test forgot who he is or never learned who he was, right? And we flag the test. And, and, and the same thing's true. If we're going to go through life trying to have victory in, in trials and we're not put in time in spending time with God who gives us the ability and the power to overcome those things through his word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by that's not just Salvitic faith. That is all knowledge concerning who? If you're going to find out about God, where are you going to look? Is the Quran going to help you? Is uh, the Iliad going to help you? Is 
how how to how to believe in God by um, the dummy the, the, the dummies book. I can't even think of what it's called now. Um, you know, DOS for dummies. That's how old I am, right? Right, Larry? Right. That's right. So, you know, we don't get it from there. We get knowledge from the Word of God. And if you're not studying the Word of God, how are you going to know it? If you're not reading it, how are you going to know it? And if you're not learning about what God is like, what are you going to talk to him about? You know, go back to the days in which you were dating your spouse. There was a time you actually liked talking to them. There was a time you actually were interested in the things that they're interested in. There was a time when you didn't even give a rip about what they do for a living, but you still ask questions and act like you did because you, well, I don't want to say love them because that kind of implies if you don't do that, you don't love them anymore. But there was a special interest, an interest that went beyond self because you cared for them. You were, you were invested in them. You wanted to be part of them. So you did things that were abnormal in your own personal life to become relevant in their life. And you know what? Is it normal to want a quiet time with the Lord? I mean, let's be honest. Is it normal? No. Do unspiritual people do that? No. It's not a natural outflow of man. But it is a natural outflow of somebody in a relationship with somebody else. If you're going to have a relationship and you're going to foster the relationship, it's going to be strong. But if you have a relationship you neglect, right? I was going to say, how many of you get, get along with your mother-in-law if they're still alive, right? That's usually where strife comes. Or maybe it's your own biological mom, right? How many times does that happen? Or a biological brother or sister. When you don't spend time with them, what's the relationship like? No different with God. Jesus saw the importance of having a relationship. I love what Joshua 1.8 says. Keep this book of the law always on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you are careful in everything that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and you will have good what? Kind of paraphrase it to save a little bit of time there, but you're going to have success. How many Christians want success? Guess where it's found? Right here. This book of the law. This word from God is what gives us success when we follow it, when we heed it, when we know it. We are promised that if we'll really meditate on what's written in the Bible and we do our best to apply it to our lives and we read it, we heed it, God will make us prosperous and God will make us successful. Not in the world's ways, but in God's ways. So that's the problem with health, wealth, prosperity gospel. They want to put everything in today, here, and now. There's going to be a day in which the today, here, and now, you leave behind. What shall a profit a man if he gained the whole world? And what, what would you trade for that? So we brought nothing into this world. Surely we're going to take nothing. So the ways of prospering and the ways of success are not going to be defined by man. They're defined by the one who wrote the book. They're defined by God. So what, do we, what should we include in our quiet time, right? How do we do this? Let's get to the nitty-gritty. If we're promised prosper, prosperity and success in, spiritual realm, in the spiritual realm, what should we do? Well, number one, I always say this. If you're going to do a quiet time with God, now if you're old school, this will apply, okay? Have pen and paper there, right? 
Write down things that you notice from the Word of God, things you don't understand, things that you might want to go back and review. But if you're a more techie person, use your phone, right? But this morning, I want to give you the tools, and I've given this away in Sunday school, but I've never really taught through it. I want to show you a tool that's going to help you in studying the Bible wherever you are. This is some of the things I'm going to be teaching the guys over at the Nest, even, when we're over there doing a Bible study, how to study the Bible. So there's a difference between reading a Bible and studying a Bible. Do we agree on that? There's a difference between simply reading the Word of God and studying the Word of God. Which is the Christian commanded to do? Right? Timothy tells us, study to show yourself approved to who? To God. So if you want approval of God, and you want God's success, and you want God's prosperity on your life, then you're going to be in his book. The Bible clearly teaches that. I mean, we don't even have to expound on that. So the difference between reading the Bible and studying the Bible is that you write something down. You know, when you're a student in a class and you write nothing down, what do you get out of the class? But when you're in a class and you're studying in a class and you're wanting to learn from the person teaching the class, what do you normally do? You take notes. You write things down. How many of you take notes in your personal quiet time with God? And if we don't, why? Why wouldn't we do that? Because most of the time, Christians don't study, we read. And when we simply read the text, there's only one book of the Bible that gives a blessing for just reading the text. Anybody know? Revelation. So if you're simply going to do devotions to read, just read the book of Revelation over and over again. You're going to get a blessing, I promise. You will. It's in there. God prophetically says, you will be blessed. However, if you're the 99 other percent of Christians in the world that want to read the whole counsel of God, and you think the whole counsel is beneficial for reproof, for correction, and instruction, and righteousness, so that you're fully equipped to do whatever God wants you to do, then the rest of the Bible is very apropos to you. And if the rest of the Bible is apropos, then the promise is not there simply in reading it that we're going to get something, but that we must actually study. Now, you might be sitting there saying, I was not one of the best students out there. The good news is you don't have to be because you're not going to teach yourself. You're going to allow the teacher to teach you. When you do devotions, who's teaching? Well, there's only two people involved in the party, right? There's God and you. And if you're going to the word to get something from it, then who's doing the teaching? Is he deficient in any way as a teacher? Has he ever forgotten to give details to students? Has he ever forgot to give out an assignment that was very apropos to where you were in life? And who knows the beginning from the end, the future from the past, and the present things that you're going through? So the God who has all wisdom, all knowledge, all teaching ability, all revelatory ability is the one that you're going to sit underneath and learn from. What do you think the ability of him to teach you in your special needs, what do you think his ability is to teach you with all your special needs? I would say a thousand percent. When are you? Who created you? Who knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb? God. You say, well, Pastor Joe, you're kind of overemphasizing this. Yeah, because only 20% of Christians do this. Why? We know it's right. We know it's good. And yet we don't do it. 
And if we're going to take a next step for the Lord, this, I think, is the biggest step. This is the Neil Armstrong moment of Christianity, right? One small step for man, another giant leap for mankind. Artemis 1 launch going back to the moon. Everybody's so excited, and they're talking about the first woman to set foot on the moon is soon going to happen, and they're all excited about this. Friends, I'm excited if we take one step into God's realm and simply doing our devotions. How much stronger would Christianity be? How much stronger would the church be if 80% of Christians actually read their Bible? Whoops, I messed up there, didn't I? We don't read it. We Imagine if 80% of Christians were studying their Bible today. What would the church be like? If 80% of Christians were reading their Bible, knew what they believed, what would their witness be like? You know, we can sing all the praise songs in the world inside the walls of our churches, but it's not helping the unsaved world get saved. We need ambassadors of Jesus Christ going into all the world, sharing what they believe, but you'll never share what you believe if you don't know what you or where it's at. And how are you going to learn that stuff? Well, you could diet on church one hour or a 30, 40 minute message one time a week for 52 weeks and you'll have not even 52 hours of training. Or you could take 365 days a year and spend 10 minutes, which is greater. You see simple deduction there. But imagine, I know this is a foreign concept too today. Imagine if you did both. How much more would you get? And then throw in a Bible study, throw in, throw in a Faith Bible Institute, throw in something else, and all of a sudden you got like this, you're the SR-71 blackbird of spiritual life. You're growing so fast, you're three times the speed of sound. And you're cooking in your relationship with the Lord. And you're learning, and you're growing, and you're excited about it. So let me give you some tools that would help you out in reading the Bible, okay? It's simply called OIA, Observation, Interpretation, Application, Right? If you water down any learning experience, these, this is what ends up happening. Any teacher worth their salt is going to have all three of these in any presentation they do, any learning experience you're going to be in, any time you sit under somebody training you, there's going to be a time of observation, a time for you to interpret and try to figure out what they're doing, and then a time for you to actually go and... I remember this process in, in, in my flight training time. I remember this process when I was in seminary. I remember this process when I was in kindergarten. I remember teaching this process. You know, it's one thing to sit in an airplane with a flight instructor. It's a whole different thing for him to get out and you take off. That's the easy part. What's the hard part? Oh, no, you're going to land. Landing is mandatory. You're going to land. It's surviving the landing. And surviving with the equipment intact is even more of a goal, right? And it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually be the one doing it. And I'm glad that there's a process so we don't have pilots out there lawn darting airplanes all around the world because they're trying to learn by experience rather than going through the process. And all of us understand that there's process. Aren't you glad they don't, you don't turn 16 and they hand kids car keys and just say, have at it? What would that be like out on the highways? You say, I already know what it's like with the training. It's not good, right? Because we all know that there's a process. We all know in everything there's a process. And God, even in his understanding of our spiritual growth, knew salvation is a point in time, 
But there's a process of learning behind that. And we call that process in the spiritual realm what? Sanctification. How am I going to grow intentionally in the Lord? How am I going to become more like Jesus every day? So we need a Bible reading plan, right? OIA. We need a way to study the Bible. So the first way we study the Bible is through observation. Observation simply says this. What does it say? These are the questions you normally ask, right? Who, what, where, when, how, and there you go. The observation questions that we ask anytime we read some. Who's involved? What's going on? Why does it say this? How, how many people are doing this? Or, or how is this happening? In, in what way? By what means? To what extent? Um, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we, we read this passage together. It says that we were all at one time, what? Dead in our trespasses and what does all mean? All would be a word we'd observe there, right? All means everybody. That includes me. So at one time, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, or I still am dead in my trespasses and sin, right? These are, these are observations we're going to take in. Um, so I'm going to write down all. All are dead in trespasses and sin. That's kind of a key phrase there. I want to, I want to think about that. Um, there's no rule, by the way, to what you can write down. If you want to write the whole passage out, I know people who write, anybody here write passages out daily for devotions? So there's a couple. I mean, that's a definite way to learn. Um, I, we talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. John MacArthur is a very big proponent of studying the Bible and what he calls the whole method. Take a book of the Bible, read through it every day for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, you're going to know that portion of Scripture really, really well. And if it's a big book, do half the book or do a quarter of the book. But be intentional about reading. And as you're reading, you're going to begin to study the passage because you're going to look deeper into it. Um, it also says in verse 5 that Christ made us alive. So if, if all are dead and then Christ can make alive, then the obvious question would be, is there a process for that? Is there a means for that? How do you go from death to alive? How do, living, how do dead things become living? Because the natural process for man is what? Living things become, if you want to experiment with that, buy some goldfish. You will take that which is living and figure out how to get, maybe for some of you it's a plant. Take that which is alive and make it, we're good at that. But take that dead plant and bring it back to life. Take that dead goldfish and bring it back. That's not natural. So there's something supernatural going on in this passage. So we can, we can figure that out. And we don't need a lot of study here. We don't need a lot of background knowledge to observe these things and simply just write these things down. The I then stands for interpretation. Now, once I have these two factoids down, all things are dead. Some things are alive, but they're only alive by means of Christ. All right. So then I begin to ask the other questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? So if all are dead, but some are alive in Christ, well, then the logical question is to ask what? How does this happen? How does this happen? Well, if I keep going down Ephesians 2, it tells me that since Christ raised from the dead, he has the ability to raise me from my death and sin and give me what? Everlasting life. So if there's everlasting life, what is the contrast to that? Everlasting death. So now all of a sudden I've got some, some things that I'm beginning to 
put together here in a process, right? So all, all things are dead. All men are dead. But by means of Christ, some can be made alive. Actually, all can be made alive through Christ. But there's a process by which that happens. And the only reason Jesus can do that is because he raised himself from the dead and he gave forgiveness of sins. He can make us alive through him by means of his death on the cross. So then now I've got observation and interpretation both working together and I begin to form the process, right? And the process is this. He can take the dead me in sin, make me alive in him because of the work that he's already done. So by the time I get to the end of Ephesians, and I need to put the A on the end of this thing for application, I can read Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and understand it, right? If we're all dead in our trespasses and sin, by means of Christ you can be made alive. He can offer eternal life because he died on the cross for my sin, and he's an eternal person. And it was the work that he did for me, not my works for him, that allows me to have this everlasting life. Then Ephesians 2, 8, 9 become crystal clear in context of what they mean. And what does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? For by grace you are saved by means of, and it's not of yourself, it is a gift from who? Who sent Christ? God sent Christ. The Father loved us enough that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not. So the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, right? We've heard that before. So he has the ability to raise me from my death because he overcame death. And since he overcame death, death can't hold him, so he must be eternal. And if he has eternal life, what does he offer to you and I? So for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man would. There is one who has the privilege of boasting about works and eternal life. Who is it? Behold my hands and my... He did it. Think about it. He boasted in the fact that he rescued mankind from sin. Look at my hands. Thomas, put your finger in there. Put your hand in my side. Check it out for yourself. He showed that he paid the penalty. He paid the price. And today, where is he at today? The right hand of the throne of God. If you look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 again, I want you to go there in your scripture. I want you to see how clear it is. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so anyone would boast. For we are, what's the next verse say? His workmanship. We're the byproduct of his work. Who did the work of the cross? Who did the work of salvation? So is salvation by works? Yes, but not ours. It's the work of Christ. It's the work of the perfect Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the children of God. This is the whole reason if somebody wants to be honest with Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and you keep it in context, there is no way, no however, that salvation can be of works of man. Because the second it is, it negates the entire work of Jesus Christ. The entire work of Jesus Christ is negated. Because we are his workmanship. If Jesus Christ didn't have us as his workmanship, what was his work for? 
Who's it for? Did creation benefit from it? Are the animals going to heaven today? No. The moon and stars, are they going to be saved for all of eternity? No. Because one day all the heaven will pass away and behold, a new heaven and a new earth will be created and all that's in them. So, so we have to come to one conclusion here. And the conclusion is we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what purpose? For what purpose? To do good works. So the good works are a byproduct of Christ's work. So if Christ did the work on the cross, then the byproducts that come out of us are all workmanship of his work. So we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? By the way, it wasn't Christ's idea. It was the Father's idea. And when our sin separated us from somebody, who did it separate us from? The Father. And who is the intermediary between man and God? Jesus Christ. So by means of the work of what Jesus Christ did for you, you have the ability of not just having life, but everlasting life. And that everlasting life is not your own works. It's not your own doing. Otherwise, you would receive the glory and the worship and the reward for it. But because we know that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works on this planet while we have time, we use our time, talent, and resources now for the glory of God and the good of others because that's what we were created to. Now, how much of a seminary training did we need to interpret that scripture? None. We just had to read the text. We had to observe what was there. We had to interpret what was in the text, and then we simply applied the text. How many of you read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 this morning for your devotions? How many of you just got the concept of what we just shared? We study it. We observe, we interpret, we apply. That's study. We, how many times have you read that and never saw all that in that passage? Maybe you knew it was all there, but did you ever put it together? Did you ever just line it out? Like if I was going to lead somebody to the Lord and they were saying, what is the process by which that happens? I'm taking them right to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You read it out loud and I'll help you out with pointing out words. Let them read it. And as they're reading down through that text, what do I have the opportunity to share with them? The truth of God's word, the good news of the gospel. It's right there. You can't save yourself. You need a savior. And who's the savior sent from God who can save all men all time because he's everlasting? Jesus Christ. I don't need to argue the Catholic Church. I don't need to argue anything else. I don't have to argue Jehovah Witness. I don't have to argue Baptist even. I simply take the word of God and revelate what the word of God says. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by our opinion. No. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. And we're more apt to share it when we know it. We're more apt to share it and give it to others when we know what it says ourselves. So what does all this mean for us? Listen to Matthew chapter five or chapter six, verses five through eight. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by who? That they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, what? Can I read this in, in modern day vernacular for us? 
And when you pray, don't go and be like other people. And when you go to church, stand up in front of everybody and pray and act like this is what you normally do. Because I'm telling you, you have your reward. If you only act spiritual at church, you have your reward. But verse 6 says this. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your who? Who did Jesus pray to? Who did Peter pray to? <laughs> who did Daniel pray to? Who did Moses pray to? They're praying to the Father. Who is where? He's in secret. And the, your father, who sees in secret, will what? Remember, you want to prosper and you want to have success. How do you get that? You got to get it God's way, not our way. And then it goes on to say, and when you pray, do not heap on empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Well, by the way, who are we? <laughs> are we Jews? <laughs> All right. Don't be like yourself. Don't be like your natural self. Don't use phrases like Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. However, verse 8, don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you. This is why it says this. You have not because you. We're asking for the wrong stuff. We're, we're, we're out of bounds. And then we try to have a quiet time where we try to act verbose. We try to sound better than we are. We know that we're fake and we'd rather not do it at all than to do it disingenuously. And I believe, if, if you want to know my personal view on this, I believe the number is so low for people that do their devotions on a daily basis because of this right here. Nobody knows, nobody cares, nobody sees, so why put the effort into it? And you know what? If that's the case, we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. And we have a reward. Because if the only time we pray and the only time we read our Bible and the only time we take in any type of spirituality in our own body is on Sunday mornings at church, then today you got your reward. But if you really want to serve the Lord, you want to see power and you want to be a leader in spiritual things, it's the daily regimen of being in his word, studying it to know what it says, so we can be approved unto God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, but is able to rightly divide what? The word of truth. And if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. I'm no longer under the bondage of sin and in the world. I am free in Christ to move about the country and speak the truth to all who will listen. That's liberating. That's freeing. I don't need to go around under obligation and duty. I go around because what Jesus Christ did in me, I want him to do it in others. And what I have in my devotional life, I want others to have it. And by the way, that's why it's about discipleship and not about just getting converts. Because getting somebody saved only gets them only gets them what? I mean, that's the whole thing. It only gets them so far. But Jesus said, go into all the world and make, because he wants you to teach them how to study the Bible. He wants you to teach them how to pray. He wants you to teach them the things that he's taught you. And that's exactly what an ambassador does. He shares his own nation and their thoughts and their views with other nations that need to understand. And as ambassadors of Christ, we're not of this world. We've been transformed, and we're telling others what we already know to be true. But if you're in the 80% that doesn't read this book on a regular basis, what are you going to share with others? Because you yourself don't know. You can't share what you don't know. You can't believe in something that 
you don't believe in. You can't convince somebody else of that either. Some of you are starting to convince me the Minnesota Vikings have a chance. They have the same record as my Eagles now. So I, 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 I'm meeting you there, you know. They, they have a chance. And at some point, these two are going to, they're, they're going to have to butt heads if they're going to keep doing what they're doing. And you know what? I'm becoming a believer in the Minnesota Vikings. I think we got something going there, right? But I wasn't always a believer. The only thing convinced me is knowledge and the truth. The truth is the record's what? Eight and one. Eagles record is eight and one. I know how good the Eagles are. Thus, if you got the same record, guess how good the Vikings are? I would say there is, well, the Eagles did beat the Vikings, though, so I do have that. I got the tie break. But the point is this. Knowledge brings the ability to share. And if we don't have the knowledge of this book and we're not in this book, we're not going to share what's in the book. And we need to take time. And if you haven't done any other step, this is the first step. Take the step of an intentional time with Jesus Christ. Be alone with him to listen and to, and to talk with him. And if you do this, this gets you light years ahead of everybody else. I promise you that. Several Jesus statements starts with this. And when you pray, do not whatever. Matthew 6, 9 tells us how we should pray. When we do pray, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know what that talks about? Praise. There should be an element of praise when we pray. There should be an element of praise. Second thing it says is your kingdom come, your will be done. This talks about the, the, the purpose. Your purpose be done. Your will be done, God. So when we pray, we're praying in, in a way that makes sense. We're praising the Lord. We're wanting his purpose. We're also wanting his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We want provision. I don't want to just run through my day. I want to go to a meeting with God's blessing that he's going to help. I want to go into a Zoom meeting understanding that God's going to work through the men that I'm going to talk to about doing what God wants done. Then it talks about pardon, right? Forgive us of our, our debts or our trespasses. As just like we forgive those who trespass against us. And then it says, also we have forgiven, uh, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is praying for other people. You know, how many times do we forget to pray about other people? Pray for other people. Pray for their salvation. Pray for victory over sin. Pray that, that, that they would be assembled with the body of believers. You know, when, when church members are missing, that hurts the ministry because what if they were going to speak a blessing to you today? What if they, what, I mean, when you see somebody's not here, you, hopefully you miss them because the whole body of Christ works together for the common good, right? Um, and then finally, we pray for protection, right? And lead us not into... Protect us, Father. So these P's that you can use in the Lord's Prayer really are, are the issue, of, the essence of what Christ wanted. He doesn't want us to recite the Lord's Prayer out of ritual because in Matthew 6, he told us what? Don't use vain, don't pray repetitiously like the Gentiles do. But instead, be intentional about how you pray and what you pray for. So what do we pray for? We pray, we praise the Lord. We pray for his purpose. We pray for his provision. We pray for his pardon. We pray for his people. We pray for protection. And when should we do that? Well, there's two things you got to do. You got to have a time and you got to have a place. The Lord went in the morning and he went to a desolate place. P. 
Peter went to the next city. He found a place. And while it was yet morning, he, Daniel in the morning, he threw open his windows and he prayed. They all had a time. They all had a place. Let me ask you a question. What's your time and what's your place? See, great leaders in God's word. And by the way, there were so many more I could have took. These are just cherry picked, okay? I just pulled one here, pulled one there. They're all through the Bible. You see the great men of God who did great things for God all had a personal time where God could speak to them. Moses was a little unconventional. It was a bush, right? And what happened at the bush meeting? He was alone. He was with God. He heard from God and he spoke to all four elements were there. A little different than you and I are going to experience. But even Moses had a quiet time with God. When he went up on the mountain to get the law, was that the first time he had ever been alone with God? No. Was it the last time he was ever alone with God? No. They all have these characteristics in their life. So here's my challenge to you today. Would you, for the next month, test this whole thing out? Psalm 34 and verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you take 15 minutes, all right, 15 minutes a day to take the peas that I gave you. If you have the outline, right? You, you, have, you have that in that outline there. Take the peas of the Lord's Prayer and implement those into your Bible reading. Read the text. You say, well, what should I start reading about? Read Ephesians. What a great book to start on. How about that? How about 1 John? Great book that's written to believers. How about Hebrews? Written to believers. You know, we're believers. Take any of the the epistles in the New Testament, they're all written to what? Churches. Take any of those passages of Scripture, and for the next 30 days, be intentional about spending seven and a half minutes in prayer and seven and a half minutes in Bible reading. Is that possible? Sure. It's a first step. It's the next step. Do something, right? Be intentional. Take a step and actually do it. So that's my challenge to you. Would you taste and see that the Lord is good through your Bible reading and through your prayer life by being intentional? Maybe for you it's starting. Maybe for others it's like, well, Pastor Joe, I do way more than that because I'm so spiritual already. I'm not that 20%. I am the 20%. I'm not the 80. All right, I'm doing my... That's great. So let me, let me give you one extra challenge then. Disciple somebody else on how you do it. Disciple somebody else on how you do it. Because that's what an ambassador does. He educates others about his home country. So if you're succeeding in this area and you're thriving in your personal time with the Lord and you're keeping it to yourself, what good is that? Teach somebody else. Make disciples of what you do. That's the command. Not just get them saved. Not get them to make a profession of faith. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you Always, even when. Are we getting close to the end of the age? Is the Lord coming back sooner rather than later? Then we need to be making disciples, and that's how we do it. So if you're the 20%, the challenge is you go teach somebody else how you're doing what you're doing. If you're the 80%, okay, and I'm not judging you. You're judging yourself. I'm not putting you in whatever category. But if you're the other 80%, then let's take the challenge. For the next 30 days, that'll get you almost to Christmas, Spend 15 minutes a day in the Word and in prayer. Just start. Is it better in the morning or evening? I don't know. All the great spiritual leaders did in the morning. <laughs> but I don't think it matters. I think it matters that you actually are in the Word. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by 
the word of God. Is that something easy that we can do? A first step? Then let's do it together. Let's commit that to the Lord. Thank you.